Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, January 26th, 2024 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, we talk about some highlights from the first few weeks of the legislative session, and we also take a look at the New Hampshire Republican presidential primary. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me this week are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. We have Lead Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Aaron. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is with us. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal is here. Hello, Jared. Aaron, it's been a weird week for uh, Wisconsin sports. How you doing, buddy? Such a weird week. So much going on. We could do a whole podcast alone <laughs> on just like Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, but thank you for checking in. I'm surviving. Godspeed. Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, and finally, we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman with us. Hello, Todd. Hello, Aaron. All right. First up this week, uh, let's start out east in New Hampshire, where the first in the nation Republican presidential primary election was just held a couple days ago. Just like in Iowa, former President Donald Trump was the big winner in New Hampshire, albeit by a smaller margin there. And Nikki Haley was second in New Hampshire, although other than Ryan Binkley, she was the only other candidate remaining in the race. So some of the lusters off of that particular silver medal. Uh, Jared, let's have you start us off this week. Um, what are your thoughts on New Hampshire? Did, uh, as Nikki Haley promised, did New Hampshire do a good job of correcting Iowa? Um, well, for being as literal as possible with that question, uh, no. Um, what happened Tuesday is Trump became the first Republican presidential candidate um, in a competitive field to win the first two states. And not only did he win, he won by double digits in both, uh, big league, as he might say. Uh, so in that respect, nothing about New Hampshire was a corrective to the narrative that was going into the election. Um, but it maybe was a little more illustrative of what the general election could be than Iowa was, because New Hampshire is much more of a swing state than Iowa. There are way more independents, and the independents broke to Haley by like 19 points. Uh, and it would seem difficult for Trump to win in truly purple states if he doesn't corral that particular voting block. And and Jared, and, I'm uh, sorry, I just want to jump in really quick and and um to that point. And also a higher share of college educated voters, I believe, in New Hampshire than Iowa, which is also a key fault line in how mm -hmm. that broke down. Sorry, go keep going. No, you know that's that's definitely one of those demographics that is cleaved pretty neatly to to trends other trends in politics. Um, and then the other thing I kind of found myself thinking about is that New Hampshire ended up seeing record turnout on Tuesday and Iowa had two decade lows. Trump won by 30 points in Iowa with low turnout, but he won by 11 points in New Hampshire, which had record turnout. So even though, you know, we've talked about him being the candidate that's bringing in all these first time voters, a higher turnout election for him, maybe especially in the general, might not be the best thing for him. Well, and that would make sense given what happened in 2020, right? That was a high turnout election in what was, you know, polls were showing was a close race. There was high turnout and that by all accounts seemed to help Biden. Mm -hmm. And it and it really did, folks. It it, it, it really did happen that way. Um, Todd, how sewn up is the nomination now for Trump with wins in both Iowa and New Hampshire? Is it over? Uh, or is it over after South Carolina if he wins that again, or or can Haley string this out to Super Tuesday? Well, you know, if if uh, Nikki Haley decides that it's fun to continue to set rich people's money on fire, I guess she can 
she can go as long as she needs to because she still has quite a bit of financial backing. But I mean, I think it's pretty clear that the Republican Party wants Donald Trump to be the nominee. God help us. And uh, she is probably is. I, mean, I think what happened in New Hampshire shows that she is definitely right about being a better general election candidate. But Republicans don't seem to care. They still think that they can they can win with Trump uh, again in New Hampshire. You saw polls that show. Yeah. So what if he gets convicted of a crime? He's still fit to be president. Things like that. So, yeah, a large segment of the Republican electorate has basically turned their back on all of the incredibly unbelievable things that the guy did as president and have decided that, I mean, he's the savior. So that's, I guess that's what they've settled on. And I would expect he's going to win South Carolina and that'll probably be the end of Haley. And so then we go on to the, what will be a, a really uplifting, heartening general election campaign that will make all of us feel very proud of the state of our country. A record long uh, general election, too. <laughs> yeah, the longer the better with this one, right? I mean, that's that's what we all want. We, we really need time to kind of analyze both of these candidates just a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. If there's anything Americans have been saying, it's been that we want the general election campaign to be longer. And in this case, we want it to be these specific two candidates again. So I imagine everybody's going to be really happy for the next nine months. Um, real quick before we move on, uh, Todd, let me ask you this real quick, too. Assuming it goes as it looks like it does, like you just described, President Trump is likely to win in South Carolina again. And maybe at that point, Nikki Haley drops out. But regardless, it, it looks like the, the results are uh, a formality at this point. Assuming it goes that way, Trump wins South Carolina, has a big Super Tuesday. Does that take any pressure off of the Iowa Republican caucuses uh, over the next four years? You know, we, we talked about last week that the, some of the criticism coming out of Iowa. Jared mentioned the low turnout. If they at least, you know, can say, look, we said the same thing that everybody else did. Uh, does that help them avoid the uh, sort of Damocles or might Jeff Kaufman still have a fight on his hand for a couple of years here? No, I, I think it probably helps them. I mean, Donald Trump's the leader of the party now uh, and was ecstatic about his, you know, record victory margin. And so he loves Iowa. He he probably doesn't think much of our governor and some of the other people that didn't endorse him and stuck with DeSantis. But I, I would say the caucuses are probably uh, pretty safe, especially if he wins the presidency again. So, yeah. OK, that's enough presidential politics for this week. That's not our circus anymore. We just thought uh, we should check in quickly on our first in the nation neighbors. Uh, let's bring the show back now to the Iowa Capitol and talk governing. We got the 2024 legislative session in full swing. And man, Tom, Caleb, and I can confirm for you after this week that the session is most definitely in full swing. I think I, I did the math on this, and I think there were five trillion subcommittee hearings held uh, just Tuesday through Thursday this week. Uh, new record, uh, fantastic number, unbelievable. All right, uh, so we haven't really talked about the session since opening day back on January 8th, as, as we sit here late in the month now, because the last two episodes of the podcast understandably were so caucus centric so um instead of me trying to broach any one of about a billion different uh, topics that i could get into uh, tom and caleb uh let me just ask each of you and then maybe i'll 
toss in my own two cents too here. But uh, in these first few weeks, what has stood out most to you, Caleb? Let Let's start with you. What's What's jumped out to you in these first few weeks of the session? Yeah, um, I'll take uh, the the big one. Um, the the kind of um, back and forth over the governor's um, area education ed- agencies bill um, has been interesting, both in the fact that um, there has been kind of some changes and evolution around the bill, and also that uh, there. Ha- you know, that's a bill that we haven't seen uh, any subcommittees on. We haven't seen um, any on- public discussion about it um, from lawmakers, but already, you know, we know that that there's not anywhere near a consensus on that bill. Uh, it's kind of for the background. Uh, Governor Kim Reynolds proposed uh, in her condition of state this year the a bill that would uh, change Iowa's area education agencies, require that they only provide special education services um, and also say that schools can opt into those services or choose to use their special education funding uh, with a separate entity or private company um, to give that special education uh, to their kids. So there has been a very quick backlash to that from the AEAs, from uh, teachers, from parents of students with disabilities um, who are very concerned about that proposal. We also have got, have got the sense that um, lawmakers, uh, Republican lawmakers, did not really have much of an appetite for it either. Um, and so uh, the governor last week uh, said that she, you know, was going to propose an amendment to the bill, um, allow the AEAs to keep some of those uh, other services if uh, the department approves it. But we'll have to see. I'm just interested in seeing where that uh, amendment comes and and kind of whether there's going to be any sort of consensus around this bill, because right now it seems like there's none. Yeah. And for uh, housekeeping um, duties here. We are recording Thursday afternoon, so there has not been that amendment yet. Uh, that might still come yet Thursday afternoon or, or on Friday. So depending on when you're listening to the podcast, that may have changed. But as we sit here now, I'm still waiting for that. that that's a good one and, and an obvious one, Caleb, and, and you're right about everything. The, other, the only one little thing that I'll tack onto that is I've also been taken by how much public interest in this there has been around this bill. And, and I don't mean that as in I'm surprised that there's public interest in it. I'm surprised by the level. It literally, and this is very unscientific, but I feel like I've gotten more feedback and heard more about this bill than I did the school choice, the vouchers, the ESA's bill last year, which there was monumental interest and debate in that. And I feel like this AEA thing, there's been even more reader feedback about that it, that it, it's been remarkable it, and, and i think the reason for that is because this is an issue that i think crosses party lines you know with the school choice bill um you know for the most part you had um conservatives republicans in support and uh, democrats and progressives against um, here, you're seeing both Democrats, Republicans, independents, people from all different um, places on the political spectrum who are upset and concerned about the services that students who um, have special needs are going to receive. I mean, you've seen large crowds turning out at forums and town halls being hosted by state lawmakers and, and not just you know Democrats who are hosting town halls and meetings um raising um concerns and issues with the legislation you also see them um showing up in rural iowa um for town halls and legislative events being hosted by republican lawmakers um because it's it's an issue that touches 
you know, all, all, all corners um, of, of, of the state and, you know, any family that has a student um, because AEAs provide services to public as well as, as private schools. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it's not so much about, you know, education choice and, and, you know, where should the tax dollars go to? I think everyone pretty much is on board in an agreement that, uh, state funding absolutely needs to go toward these agencies to provide services to districts to provide, um, again, those specialty supports um, and instruction um, for a whole host and range of students. And it should be noted that, you know, it's not just services to, to, to students with, with special needs that the AA provides, but it's also professional development and helping teachers with um, curriculum. Um, and so I, I think that there's just um, a lot of concern and apprehension about the scope of the legislation. Um, and again, what impact that's going to have on schools, students, teachers, etc. Yeah, and on, on that note, I mean, this isn't a this is a commentary on, on, on whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, but I have yet to see, I mean, there there hasn't been any entity or organization or political interest group that has um, come out to support this. Uh, you know, with the school choice, you had private schools, you had uh, school choice advocates. I mean, it's a, a large political movement. I, I don't really see any um, kind of corners of policy groups that are supporting this proposal. Yeah, we've we've received no letters to the editor or guest columns in support of the governor's plan on the other side of the spectrum, we've received a lot. And, I, you know, I think the governor underestimated how much people knew about AEAs. I think she might have thought, well, you know, the, I'll, I'll cast this as an unaccountable bureaucracy and that'll be enough for me to sell this. And I think she found out that people are pretty familiar with some of the stuff that they do. And second, I mean, if you're a rural lawmaker and you, you know, you to save your skin, you voted for the uh, scholarships last year. I mean, your local school administrators are going to be like, how many times are you going to screw us? <laughs> I mean, you did the scholarships. We didn't want you to, but you did it anyway. I understand. And now you're back to try to take out the AEAs. I mean, that's, 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 I mean, those, I mean, two years ago, that opposition was pretty powerful. I mean, that's why she didn't get the vouchers the first year she tried, or the second year, I guess it would be that she tried. But I don't know. She's going to have to find a lot of primary opponents to go after everybody that thinks this is a bad idea. I will say for housekeeping, after after I, after I said that, I checked the lobbyist declarations and Americans for Prosperity and a couple of school choice think tanks do support this bill. Well, good. <laughs> They've sold me. I'm on board. <laughs> I was going to say too, like from um, somebody who's not in Des Moines, like it seemed like the the school choice vouchers had a national conversation going on about people, um, kind of uh, a backlash to schools and policies in schools. And it seems like that kind of backlash has baited a little bit. And so there's not as much, um, there certainly isn't a conversation about AEAs nationally um, so I don't think that there's, or at least that I know of. Um, and so I don't think that there's quite as much uh, national conversation about, about this issue in particular. So it feels very local. Yeah, no, those, those are all, all really, really good points. Really good points. Uh, all right, Tom, uh, 
jumped on AEAs was, um, but I wanted to give you your moment too. Is there anything else what that's uh, stood out to you in these early weeks? Yeah, one thing that stood out to me, and this is probably going to be a, a nice segue into our um, next session, um, but the governor's tax proposal. I, I would have thought that more Republican lawmakers would be on board with the proposal, but I guess I was surprised that it didn't go as far as the governor had, I guess, initially at least envisioned or toyed with. You know, she um, participated in a, a event put on by um, the conservative Cato Institute and said that it's her goal to eventually eliminate the state income tax by the end of her term. So that would be by the end of, what, 2026? Uh, the proposal um, falls short of that. And now you're seeing Senate Republicans working on their own proposal or their own bill and it's my understanding that they want because they they want to go farther and don't feel that the um, the, the the governor's proposal puts the pedal to the floor enough. And then on, on on the other side in the House, we're hearing concerns from Republicans saying, "Well, we think the governor's proposal actually goes too far. We feel like." Um, you know, we've already done a good job um, through the legislation that we passed in the last um, couple of sessions. And there's concerns that that, that they could go overboard and, um, you know, end up having revenue problems and, and not having enough uh, money and support to be able to um, sustain and maintain investments in vital government services. Um, so I, I found that pretty interesting um, that that you've got, you know, concerns from from within the party and in both sides um, or, or both both chambers, but um, for two vastly different reasons. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to, to see where that goes. The other thing that has stood out to me from the bills that we've seen um, in these first couple of weeks, just just the volume of bills that we're seeing related to trying to block teens access online to uh, porn or obscene materials. I, I think we've seen at least four or five bills now um, related to that taking um, different approaches to it. It'll it'll be interesting to see where that goes and in what kind of compromise they they come out with. They come up with, excuse me. Um, you know, if they try and do some sort of uh, amalgamation of these 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 different proposals. But it's just it's it's been interesting to 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 see that 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 conversation and to see that there's been such a focus on that you know last session a lot of the focus was related to issues related to you know gender id identity and sexuality um in lgbtq um instruction and themes and ideas being taught in schools and it it just it, it seems like we're we're kind of starting to see kind of that be you know the the, the theme in terms of social issues that um that the republicans are going to be going after it's going to be you know a focus on you know how do we keep harmful content online out of reach of of, of children and minors yeah that's uh i i agree that especially this week there was a ton of bills it's sort of in that universe um of, of topics and and the set in and some of those and tom and caleb 
obviously did as well. It, it was interesting to either be in there and or, or um, and read about those. It, it, obviously, it'll, now it'll be interesting to see how many of those, like you said, Tom, have a shelf life and and uh, actually are, are something that get passed out of the floors and maybe get sent to the governor. Um, Sarah, Tom mentioned the tax bill, and 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 uh, I wanted to get to you because you wrote a story recently about a key state legislator who just happens to be from the Quad Cities. So he said uh, in your neck of the woods, he talked about a Republican, a key Republican, talked about Governor Reynolds' proposal to further reduce income taxes. And I'll let you do this. Tell us why this gentleman is is why I call him a key legislator and what he had to say about the tax plan. Yeah, so it's uh, uh, State Representative Gary Moore. He's from Bettendorf. He chairs the House Appropriations Committee, which puts together the budgets uh, for on the House side. They were, this was hosted by the Quad Cities Chamber of Commerce, a forum, and um, lawmakers were asked about Reynolds's uh, tax proposal and uh, legislation on taxes. And so, um, and Gary Moore told the audience that, uh, um, so Governor Reynolds's uh, proposal was to accelerate the income tax cuts uh, to uh, getting to 3.65% by the end of this year and 3.5% by the following year. Previous legislation was uh, 3.9 to in 2026, I believe. Uh, so Gary Moore said essentially that he thought that that might be a little too aggressive, that uh, they were still running out. Uh, projections for 10 years in the future of, of state revenues to fund budgets and that he felt like it would still be a win to get to 3.9% by the end of this year because that would still be two years ahead of schedule and just really emphasize that that he didn't want to take any risk that was unnecessary, that uh, he felt that it was still a win to do to accelerate these tax cuts two years early, but um, didn't take on an unnecessary amount of risk of uh, in case the budget numbers don't work out in the future. Yeah, and that gets that. Uh, I mean, it's just, a, I'm not shocked because we have heard that to Tom's point. Tom talked about that earlier, that there's been hesitation, including among Republicans. It's just noteworthy because of who that is. Like like Sarah said, that's he's not the Ways and Means chair, so he's not on the tag. He won't be writing the bill. But he's the budget chair, and and whatever that bill does has to fit into the budget that Representative Moore will be working on. Um, so it's fascinating to hear even him uh, pumping the brakes a little bit. So yeah, I mean it's shaping up to be an interesting session on on a couple fronts uh, for some of these uh, gubernatorial priorities. I'm gonna just add one little one, and this is kind of off the beaten path a little bit, but I found it interesting. And actually, Caleb, this is gonna sound like I'm stealing it from you and maybe to a little bit I am, but I honestly had been thinking this and you asked the question today in one of the press conferences with the legislative leaders about the, all the bills that are increasing penalties for certain types of assaults on, on different professions. There's, there's been a really interesting influx of those and, and there's been, you know, increasing penalties for attacks on police, for attacks on uh, other types of emergency responders. I saw one Today, I didn't make it to the, the hearing, but there was one on healthcare workers. So, so it's just kind of interesting that that's, that's also a, a subject that broadly it, it would appear that Republicans think is important to address in, in, by increasing penalties on, on uh, attacks on these types of workers. And, and as Caleb noted in his question, there's, you know, there's a discussion to be had out there. And I think there's data that suggests that maybe these kinds of things don't really have the kind of desired effect that, that that would be stated in a bill like these, that like it doesn't reduce 
those kinds of crimes. And, you know, you always hear the argument, like in that moment, right before does an individual actually think, well, hold it. This just went from a class A to a class B felony or whichever direction that's supposed to go to make my metaphor work here. Maybe I shouldn't take a swing at this guy anymore. Does it actually de- deter crime is the open question there. But anyway, it was just interesting to me that there's there's so many of those types of bills early on. There's obviously others getting a lot of attention and justifiably so, but I thought that that kind of um, family of legislation uh, was interesting. Jared, Todd, anything else as you guys watch this circus from afar or anything legislators in your areas are, have been talking about early in the session that's uh, stood out to you? I, I didn't want to leave you guys out of this. Well, I don't, I don't know if any of you would mind, but I think right now we should rise and sing the national anthem <laughs> with the with the proposal about that you know the compromise could be the star spangled banner gets played but it's the Jimi hendrix uh instrumental cover from woodstock that's yeah. what has to that's what has to be played every morning as long as yeah, it's, it's not the mo cheeks one. <laughs> oh no we don't know we don't want that or no no roseanne no <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> The most infamous version of all time. So, 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 real quick to fill in, in case listeners, I suspect most listeners of the Yanayo Politics podcast know what we're talking about, but just in case there's a few who don't, there was a subcommittee, speaking of this um, incredibly busy week, on a bill that would, Caleb, you covered it. So, correct me if I say any of this wrong, require that the national anthem be sung every morning in public schools. And that, like, the song itself and its writing be studied and its verses be studied. Okay, I'm getting nods from Caleb. So it sounds like I got got pretty close to the mark there. And then uh, apparently in an impromptu moment, uh, uh, in an allegedly impromptu moment, uh, the legislators on the subcommittee decided to start uh, the meeting by singing the national anthem. So that was uh, not something you see every day in the Capitol. And for those who heard the rendition, I will leave it up to them to decide whether that is a good thing that you don't typically hear legislators uh, singing. Well, and the bill also says that on special patriotic occasions and periodically that uh, the kids are going to sing all four verses of the Star Spangled. Yeah, I saw that. uh, Yeah. I'm going to have to bone up on that because I I doubt you're alone on that. After after play ball, they kind of lose me. I'm not. I don't know what comes next. Uh, as a kid in, in my school, I did uh, have to memorize all the verses, and I can tell you that it is impossible to remember any of the other three verses of the of the Star Spangled Banner. There's a reason we just do the first verse. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that uh, and and I look and and I, I kind of gave a little good-natured ribbing to the the singers uh, at the subcommittee there, but it, in all seriousness, in a very real and musically technical way, that is an, it's actually a very difficult song to sing, to sing well. It's like it, it, multiple mm. octaves and the range that's required to sing it is actually very, very difficult. So maybe we can get an amendment that makes earplugs optional for kids if they're going to have mm. to sing it every morning. What's um something that was striking to to me for the session so far is that the more conservative um legislating that is happening on education doesn't seem to have abided, and that's at least a little bit noteworthy considering how school board elections went for more conservative candidates in Iowa in 2023. You know, the the framing after those losses was that maybe there's a bit of a backlash to to all of this within the school realm, but if 
that was the reason for those defeats in 2023. The more conservative legislators don't seem to be too worried about that. Yeah, that's a good point. That's true. It's it's not as big a you know um, attention grabbing or as sweeping as what they did last year, but but the, there are still bills. It'll be interesting to see. You know, we're still in those first weeks. We'll see which one of those will actually make it to the finish line. But but you're right. Um, you know, the, the the folks who have been uh, driving that bus uh, are not yet pumping the brakes. So um, it'll it'll be interesting to see how that finishes uh, out as, as we go along here. All right. I think that should do it for this week. Um, it's going to be a long session. We'll have plenty more to talk about the goings on up there in, in future episodes after a chance uh, after maybe after uh, Tom and Caleb and I have had a chance to actually catch our breath and, and wrap our head around everything that's going on up there. It's not even fun a week yet. And it it's like, anyways, I'm, I'm just whining on the air. I apologize. And that's it for this episode of on Iowa politics. Uh, if you're not already, please subscribe to us on your streaming service of choice. And you can also find the podcast each week on your preferred Gazette or lean newspaper website. Now that you listen to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter. Where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo City Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluff Daily Non-Corral, and the Sioux City Journal. That was almost one breath that time. You get close to being able to do that. I See You by Silence featuring Riley Mobs is playing us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. Our amazing producer Bailey is trying to uh, bolster that repertoire and get um, more musical acts uh, on the show here. So please reach out to us. For Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and said producer Bailey Chihan. I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening. I remember the days of free lunch. Now I'm stuck in the place that's taking my time and space, and I hustle till my life goes dust. Now I wonder what you do when you're steady chasing clues. Can I get some good news? Cause I'm stuck like ruts. But I promise to be true till my dreams come through. I'm a hustle till I'm blue and my face like up. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.